Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Yumika Ketu is lead author of the Ceres Responsible Engagement Analysis 2022, which benchmarks S&P 100 companies against the tactics they must adopt to assess climate-related business risks. A 2020 series blueprint calls for these companies to practice the risk-aware and responsible Paris-aligned advocacy their investors increasingly demand. K2 and Stephen Rothstein, Managing Director of the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets, are joining me in this Sustainable Finance Podcast episode to discuss a series of steps that companies can take to ensure their efforts are calibrated to the risks that climate change poses to their business model. But before we start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful network and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable, market-based, and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Yamika and Stephen, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, so let's begin our questions. Yamika, you're first up. What did you and contributing author Todd Miller find in your research for the 2022 engagement analysis? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, so we found overall that um, the group of companies that we benchmark, which is the S&P 100, um, are putting in the right internal systems in place to address climate risks um, and are also increasingly um, engaging on policy or climate policy issues in a positive way, but they are still not holding their trade associations accountable, which, um, especially in the last year, have been quite obstructive towards major policy action in terms of um, in terms of taking action on climate. Um, and um, so we had about half of the companies that did lobby in favor of Paris line climate policies. This is a 10% increase from the 2021 report. Um, but at the same time, only about 8% of companies are um, holding their trade associations accountable and are disclosing how they're engaging with them to change their position on, on their climate lobbying efforts. Okay, so Stephen, um, Yamika has given us a, a brief overview of the climate lobbying efforts so far by these S&P 100 companies. Um, how are, is Ceres engaging with these companies around climate lobbying? Well, first, that's a great question. Thank you, Paul. Let me take a step back. Sure. Um, and when you think about over 90% of the Fortune 500 companies are saying that they want to be a climate leader, that climate is affecting their business, it's a real risk. But in fact, when we analyze the top 100, many of them, their lobbying is inconsistent with what their actions. So imagine if, you, if your company was pro something, but you either didn't lobby or you lobbied against it. And that's what the Responsible Policy Engagement um, Report highlighted, that there are more companies lobbying 
for climate change and addressing climate risk than ever before. And that's good news. And there are things like the Inflation Reduction Act that went through, partially because of lots of company support. But there are still many companies that either directly or through their support of their trade associations aren't doing it. So we've engaged with these 100 companies and many others, but particularly these 100, to do more and to be consistent. And that you can't be a climate leader if your lobbying is opposed to climate movement in Congress or at state legislatures. Okay, Yamika, do you have anything to add to what Stephen was just saying? Just to say that it's really important to to get at this issue of the misalignment between what companies are saying about climate and how their statement, uh, you know, how their position stands versus how they're actually engaging on it. And I think addressing that is, is really crucial. Okay. So now let's talk a little bit about the 2020 series blueprint, which called for companies to assess, systematize, and advocate in support of Paris-aligned policies while engaging their trade associations to support these policies. We've talked a little bit uh, with Stephen about how that is uh, happening or not, depending on the companies, but uh, how are they doing in this engagement process overall? Um, so overall, there's a lot of improvement that has to be made in this area. Only 3% of companies have disclosed that they've taken some kind of action to address any misalignment that's taking place between um, the companies and their trade association's position on climate policy. Um, and only 5% of companies have acknowledged that their trade associations are engaging in um, obstructive lobbying. So with that being said, if you're looking at, you know, the the largest 100 companies by market cap in the U.S. Um, there's uh, a lot of a lot of action that needs to be taken in that regard, um, and a lot of engagement that companies need to undertake with their trade associations, especially given the fact that the majority of them do say that they're in support of climate policies and the Paris Agreement, and so on and so forth. Okay, now, Stephen, these hundred companies are, are all very large, and uh, they, they drive a significant uh, percentage of, of total economic uh, development and business uh, through, uh, through their efforts on an annual basis. How, um, how important are they to the overall economy? I know there's, we've talked recently in another program about different kind of regulatory infrastructures that are being put in place by the federal government, uh, how important to those structures are these top 100 S&P companies? These 100 drive the economy in two ways, or in three ways. First, just the work they do directly. Second is as a role model, so the largest cement companies or banks or real estate or whatever, they, food companies, the others in their field follow them. And third is through, through the supply chain that if you're a any kind of medium or large company, you're probably selling to one or maybe dozens of these. So as the more what these companies do, and some of them have been very proactive in what their own do in, in their own emissions and their supply chain, but not enough. And the same on the lobbying. As as Yamika said, there's only been a few that have really one of the things that in our report that we recommend is that every company, every medium or large size company, do a trade association audit to look at what trade associations do they belong to and what positions do those trade associations take. And if, in fact, the trade association is inconsistent with the company, then has the company written to the trade association? Have they decided whether they want to stay involved? 
Do they set up a subgroup within the trade association to say, I may like what you do on these four issues, but on climate, we disagree. And there are great examples of leadership companies that have done all of those in lots of trade associations, not just the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable, but in many others from cement and other areas, but not enough. So they need to do more of that. But these 100 companies really drive the economy in many significant ways. Okay, well, given what Stevens just said, Yumika, um, and given the results of, of your study so far, what best practices for disclosure and engagement can these very large companies adopt going forward? And are there examples, uh, and, and there are some examples of companies within this group that are using these best practices? Maybe you could uh, offer us a couple of those examples. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're looking for increased disclosure around this area, you know, so um, Ceres worked in a partnership on a consultation um, for the global standard on climate lobbying, which lists out 14 points um, based on investor expectations about what companies should um should be doing when they're engaging on climate policy, how they should be disclosing their engagement, um, and what investor expectations are in this area. Um and series has also come up with their own slightly pared down version that we've been using. Um, and then Influence Map as well has their own set of guidelines. So we've tried to remain as consistent as we can amongst the, these different um, frameworks in terms of what we expect companies to include in their disclosures. Um, but I would say top line, we are looking for um, memberships, uh, trade association memberships, what policies those trade associations are lobbying on and whether the company's stance on that policy is consistent with their trade association. If it's inconsistent, um, any efforts that the company has taken to address that inconsistency in terms of how they've engaged with their trade association. So like Stephen mentioned, whether that's writing a letter, um, you know, working internally with other companies to change the position of their trade association. Um, or, um, you know, in the worst case scenario, just leaving the trade association. Um, and so from from our benchmark, um, there were a number of companies that have uh, that have disclosed their um, their engagement. So, for example, General Motors had um, a pretty, pretty great disclosure report where they listed the different trade associations that are engaging on climate policy, um, the various policies that the trade association uh, lobbied on, and then whether GM was GM's position was um, aligned with that uh, lobbying position or not. And if it was, if there was any evidence of misalignment, they did list out any efforts that they took to engage their trade association to change their position. Okay, so there's a good example of, of a company that gets very specific in their reporting about these issues, and that's, that's good to hear. Uh, Stephen, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the series interface uh, that you have and your, your group within series have has with large institutional investors uh, and your efforts there to influence better engagement by the companies uh, that we're talking about with their trade associations. How are investors either putting pressure on or working to influence these large companies? So first is series been work with investors for over 30 years. Today, our investor network represents over 220 investors that collectively have over $60 trillion of assets under management. And these are investors who are saying to the companies that they're investing that you have to decarbonize. And one of the ways the investors are saying is 
that again, you your company X um, can't decarbonize if you're lobbying against decarbonization. Sounds pretty simple, but in fact, we found that uh, you know roughly 20% of the companies are actively um, lobbying against what they're saying their positions are. Um, and on a particular bill or a variety of things, both at the federal and state level. So there's another example of Duke. They did a, just as Yumiko was just talking about a climate audit, they published a report, sorry, of a trade association audit, and they went through and published that. So there are some great leaders, and there are other companies who have left trade associations or have been strong advocates within them, um, that there are many, as I say, last summer during the Inflation Reduction Act, there were many companies that spoke very strongly in favor of it, even though there were also tax increases, revenue enhancements as part of the bill. So, and, and that when the White House announced the support, they specifically noted the private sector support. So it does really make a difference. And it also, when you're silent, it makes a difference as well. Okay. So now, uh, Yamika, let's come back to you for this next question. Does Ceres expect market-based regulatory frameworks um, like Stephen's been talking about the new the new proposals from the federal government to influence corporate advocacy in favor of Paris aligned climate policies over the next few years? What's uh, what's Ceres take on that? Yeah, I, I definitely think it will it will influence company actions as they're you know, being um, as these regulations are making them uh, be more mindful about how they're engaging and, and you know, what their actions are on on climate policy. Um, we've seen a number of companies voluntarily adapt like TCFD standards. So the fact that companies are already familiarizing themselves with this kind of framework, I think, is um, signaling that they are, you know, setting themselves up for a similar um similar kind of regulation requirement that will be uh that will emerge from the SEC. So I think we're uh hoping that we'll see more uptake from from uh, a wider range of companies um, once that comes into play and then um you know I think we'll we'll hopefully be um instrumental in in just like shifting how companies think about their their corporate actions as it relates to um to climate and and curbing emissions. Okay. Let me just give one example. Stephen, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So the, the insurance um, regulators. Yes. So those are the state insurance regulators. They required as of last spring that the largest insurers, 80, the largest represents 80%, start to submit climate disclosure in the form of TCFD. So last November, a few months ago, um, hundreds of insurers submitted TCFD reports for the first time. So as those get analyzed, and those are all public available on one of the California Insurance Commissioner website. As those get analyzed, that will drive distinctions. Oh, well, why is this company doing that and that company doing that? So the level of discussion in the insurance industry, for example, the level of nuance about what their actions or non-actions in some cases will change because there's more information. Fundamentally, Ceres believes in the free market, but, but the free market only works when there's good information. And it's the good information that investors, customers, regulators, directors, customers, they all can make, make a decision. But without good information, it's very hard to do that. That's why investors are asking for this. That's why this responsible policy engagement initiative is so important. Well, Stephen, that's a very important point that you're making. And given the dramatic increase in both insured and uninsured losses due to climate events, 
uh, whether they're weather-related or fires or what, flooding, whatever it is, has increased so dramatically in recent years, and it looks like that uh, curve is going to keep on increasing. So uh, it's good to hear that there's influence being brought to bear uh, through various important sectors of the economy related to these issues. Now, Yamika and Stephen, uh, where online can followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast go to learn more about Siri's efforts to promote corporate advocacy with major trade associations, and how can they reach you to discuss the issues that we've raised in today's podcast episode? Yeah, if, uh, if listeners are looking for more information on the report and the, the data that comes with it, um, you can just search series responsible policy engagement in google and it'll be the first search result that you see um, we have the report with our key findings as well as an interactive database where you can see the different metrics um, and how each company has fared um, on on the different indicators that we've included for the data set um, and then um, i would also recommend reaching out to our BICEP network if we have any companies that are interested in uh, amping up their engagement efforts. Um, we have a lot of our colleagues on our policy team that are doing um, some really rigorous work in that in that area. And how can I'll they reach that. you? I'm sorry, Stephen. Go ahead. Yeah. No, so, yeah, so my email is mm -hmm. srostein, R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N, srostein at series, C-E-R-E-S dot org and happy to talk to anybody as, as well. Um, in addition, I think that um, uh, that if your listeners work for one of the top 100 companies, you can go, as Yamika said, and see the, the score for that company. And there are these different indicators and see how they're doing. If they work for a company that's not one of the top 100, they could, they could go back to their company and say, gee, how would we score on this? Take the same element, the methodology is all there. And because while we focus on 100 companies just because of lack of, you know, we, we don't have enough person power. Yamika is amazing, but she uh, it can only do so much. And so, but the same issues w for any size company uh, are important. And we hope that every all of your listeners go back to the company they work for and uh, ask them. Yes, I think that's a very important step that that they can take as employees and and consumers and investors. And uh, you, you make if you would provide us with links to the study, to the the, the founding principles that were, were drafted in 2020 related to this type of reporting. We'd love to include those as attachments with this program in our um, in our distribution channels so that uh, our listeners and anybody else who's interested can tune into those and take advantage of that opportunity to have that information right there in front of them. Okay, so any other uh, points that either of you want to make about this whole uh, topic before we sign off? Yeah, I just wanted to add one point. Um, Please do. To bring up earlier about about the uh, the investor impetus behind um, behind the case for responsible policy engagement. Um, just to see, just to add that we've been seeing a lot of engagement in the shareholder season um, from investors on this issue. So in 2021, um, there were. We had six resolutions that went to vote on climate lobbying disclosure, and um, five of them were for, um, as an FOR. Um, and um, we had a lot of the major institutional investors voted in favor of those proposals. Um, 
So I think it indicated that there's there's a lot of traction in that area. And then in the 2022 proxy season, there were 110 agreements that were reached on climate-related proposals and 17 of those focused on climate lobbying. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see whether that momentum continues, uh, I think, into this season, which hopefully it will. Um, but yeah, just to add that I think there's a lot of attention from the investor community that this issue is is getting. Great. Stephen, anything to add? First, we appreciate Paul, your interest and your listeners' interest. Second is that, you know, this is one of those a glass half full where we're seeing it more full, more companies doing more, but not enough. And there's an expression for people who lobby, whether it be at state capitals or Washington, that you have to be at the table. If you're literally not at the table, then you're on the menu. Meaning if you're not, if your voice isn't there, then your interests are 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 not going to be represented. And that we collectively can't address the climate risk without effective public and private sector work. So the work that every company's doing is critical, but we all, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act is just a great example, but there are dozens of smaller examples where the government at the federal level or state level are taking bold actions. So appreciate the companies that are moving forward. And we hope that for the next report in two years, that the numbers are even much higher. Great. Well, thanks again to our podcast guests, Yumika Ketu and Stephen Rothstein, and to our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org slash accelerator. That's CE res.org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Mm -hmm.